guys, I'm Kat. And I'm Russell. And this is Critical Whimsy. Welcome. Um, so, Russell, what is our episode today going to be on? Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about anxiety, possibly bipolar disorder and stuff like that. So I have anxiety over the anxiety episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel quite anxious about this episode. I wonder where it's going to go. Mm. Well, we'll find out. Just have to see. Do you want to start? <laughs> okay, actually, I want to start okay. and give a bit of an introduction. So, it never occurred to me when we were doing our episode um, regarding self-medication versus professional help that we didn't really talk about the disorders that landed us up in those predicaments. No. And I think that people when they talk about because some people would argue that anxiety depression bipolar are almost symptoms of the bigger issues we have inside of ourselves yes they're mental illnesses but also there are symptoms of being out of control and unmanageable so for me i kind of really wanted to tackle what it means to be anxious and and, and my thing with being anxious is that I feel like it's something that people overuse in, in, in kind of conversational spaces where people go, oh, yes, I get anxious. Oh, you get anxious. Oh, why? Yeah, but there's a difference between getting anxious and having anxiety. So what do you mean by that? Well, anyone can get anxious in the right situation. That's a perfectly normal and valid response. Having an anxiety means it goes to extremes and it happens where it shouldn't normally, wouldn't normally happen to other people. So, in a nutshell. I think sometimes it's almost the other way around where people get anxious and have anxiety and then call it being anxious mm. and they're not able to see that this is actually a symptom, a disorder, a condition. That can happen too, yeah. And I think that a lot of people who have anxiety don't fully comprehend that it means you have depression, mm. which a lot of people might dislike me saying. Do those two always go hand in hand, anxiety and depression? So depression and anxiety, a lot of people will say they have depression and a lot of people will say they have anxiety. But I think that sweeping statements from my own experience, I think that depressives become more in tune with having anxiety than anxiety sufferers. People with anxiety, yeah. anxiety sufferers, yeah. Uh, anxiety sufferers don't have the peace with depression. Depression is a scary, scary disease. People are scared by it. It's also, and I want to so I want to get into my experiences, but I just want to say, for about a year or more, you were misdiagnosed with depression. Hey. Uh no no it wasn't that long. Okay. That's in my story? first um, trip into the nut house. Mm -hmm. The initial diagnosis was depression, but fortunately, I suppose in a way, um, my psychologist actually witnessed me having a manic episode. So they knew at that point. And then about three days before I was leaving, sudden medication changes and shock loading of the system of it and that just to get me ready. That seems insane that they let you out so soon. Medical aid was going to start not covering it and there's no way I could have afforded it. A day's rent's more than a month's salary almost. Have I or seen a manic episode? No. How often do manic episodes happen? Uh, they currently don't with the medication. Uh, there was no sort of set schedule. It was very variable. What did a manic episode look like? You've got um, type 1... Type 2. Type 2 um, bipolar. bipolar. Yeah. So it's bipolar ma mania. Uh, hypermania. Hypermania as opposed yeah. to depressive, which is why I say you're not depressed. I get the depressive... I get the depressed episodes and I get the hypermanic episodes, mm. which is not quite as bad as the full mania, but not too far off of it. Okay, so type 1 is? Uh, that's where you get the full mania. Okay. okay. Type 2 is, um, you don't get the full mania, you get all of the lows and 
partial highs. See, that's why, in my professional opinion, I never picked it up with you. Mm. I picked up depression, picked it up. Look at me listening to myself saying that. So just a bit of background on me saying this stuff to you. My mom was a clinical psychologist. And I, as life is so strange, the moment I say something like, I've never met a single bipolar person in my life. I promptly dated a bipolar for quite a long time. He had the type 1, I think, the hypermanic No, no, type 1 is full mania. Full mania, sorry. So full mania. And and then a few years ago, I actually lived with someone with that who played Russian roulette with her pills and was crazy. And so it's it's strange i don't know if you have the same experience but i can resonate with someone who has lived something that i have lived something that i have experienced so addiction Mm. depression anxiety I, i i resonate with someone like where i almost have a energy um, You've got the personal experience of it. So and when I meet them, I can, feel, I can feel the familiar. So when you were depressed, I could feel that. I could identify. I can't identify bipolar in someone. I can, uh, only the manic, manic stuff when I, uh, when I see it. And then also it helps if they've told me I'm crazy, which is a very bad word. Um, <laughs> all right, tell me what does a manic episode look like? Okay, so uh, manic episode, uh, you feel invincible, you're God, you can do anything, nothing can bring you down. Uh, high energy, can't stop, can't really focus on one thing for too long, you just keep jumping around, doing this, doing that, doing the other, doing the next thing, oh this is great, this is fantastic. Not necessarily good with your money, you'll do impulse purchases and buys, you'll do incredibly irresponsible and dangerous things you're just convinced you'll get away with it you'll manage it won't impact you can't impact you you're god not a very good description no it's just so interesting because i dated someone not the bipolar guy but a few years ago i dated someone who claimed that they had possibly gotten a bipolar diagnosis how do you possibly get a bipolar so i feel that they had been googling I think they'd been Googling and they had decided that they fitted that pattern Mm. of destruction. What they really had was so much worse than that. They had narcissism, which is an actual condition. Yeah, narcissistic personality disorder. It's, It's one of those annoying things that now, like allergies, everyone has or dated someone who has it. We throw that word around a lot everyone's a narcissist it's annoying and everyone has allergies i really do believe this person had narcissistic personality disorder the bipolar people can be freaky and a lot to be around when they're having an episode in the same way being around a depressive like me when i'm having an episode is like sinking down to the bowls of hell and writhing and pain it's not pleasant pain and lack of energy yeah and, all and, of that. and sucking life it's like it's a sucking and i can feel even if i even if i look at someone they can feel me draining their energy and i'm not even trying to mm. it's so heavy my burden narcissistic personality disorder is a very different thing yeah, it would be very, different we're never going to get someone on the program who's going to actually be diagnosed with it, who's willing to talk about it in an honest way. Most people with it don't get diagnosed unless something really bad happens. And by that point, they're not going to talk about it. They, they don't have self-awareness. Even if they are diagnosed, a lot of them wouldn't accept it, I don't think. Yeah. And also because it's, it's of, all the, of all the mental illnesses to have, it's the most... It's the most insidious and it's the most self-protective. Mm. It, doesn't, it doesn't have a rock bottom because what it has is you being able to feed off other people and use other people and hurt other people 
and then discard them when they complain or when they leave you or don't want to be part of the... Yeah, as someone who has dated someone with not diagnosed, but I suspect narcissistic personality disorder, it's hell of a rough. So it's it's something that like doesn't get diagnosed. It's no. a, it's the it's the it's the problem with it is that you can only theorize that someone has it and you can Google and you can say look up your ex and go, does this guy uh Bradley or Chadley or whoever uh, have Love this, the name this, this. Chadley. I like it too. Paul Chadley. I never met a Chadley in my life. Um, you know, he um, does he fit this, this, this. And then you start watching videos and then you're down a rabbit hole. Mm. Yeah. So the reason why I'm so adamant about, and I want to get to your experiences of anxiety, the reason why I'm so interested in... <sighs> Um, saying or so determined to say that depression and anxiety are the same thing is because when I, I when I eventually and I, I've mentioned this in a previous episode when I was eventually diagnosed with depression I was just a, you've got to treat this or you're in serious trouble it was only after I started depreting the treating the depression that I realized that I started experiencing severe anxiety and a, and a th- therapist explained to me that that's a normal thing that they're the same coin but different faces the two diseases are connected so sometimes I meet someone with severe anxiety and I see that they're basically a ticking time bomb yeah. until they have depression they might not have had a depressive episode also you can not acknowledge a depressive episode the same way you don't have to acknowledge anything that you drink too much that you spend too much money that you steal whatever your issues are you're, you're a fanatic a sex addict whatever you you don't have to acknowledge that you have depression and sometimes people don't see it and there's things like smiling depression which I sometimes have. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't aware that you had that at times. Do you know it? I know a little bit about it, not too much. So it's, it's, I'm, I, anyone who knows me, not even quite well, pretty well, knows that I'm survivable. Yeah, the final girl. That's the final you. girl. I am the final girl. One of the things that happened to me and the way I was able to cope with depression for so long without treating it and being so such a functional depressive was having smiling depression was being able to work and laugh and communicate and date and hide it away from people smiling depressives are known for um, committing suicide though very unexpectedly I'm not at risk that sounds like the majority of my time because I had no idea of it before the diagnosis. And no one else did the hospitalization. either. No, no. But looking back now, I can see, yeah, I've been like this since I was a teenager. Uh, just so hidden. And How do you feel about the fact that people who say that they love you, people who know you very well, far, far better than I do, and before your diagnosis, and I was surprised by your diagnosis, because I just thought you had depression. And that's, you know, we've spoken not on the podcast, but together about mirroring and um, we project. So for me, I just saw you depressed for a yeah. long time. I didn't see the mania. No, my episodes were very widely spaced. I might have seen short-lived. now looking back certain things that you did which which showed you to be unpredictable however I myself can be unpredictable when I'm acting out (laughs) sorry I just had a dog sneak out from underneath the table and drop a ball on my lap and then smile at me Claire Gain we are podcasting hello yeah not gonna play now shout out to Claire Gain our silent third we hope silent. Yes, you look very sweet. Um, where was I going with that? <sighs> I always do this. I have, uh... Okay, so um, I saw your depression yeah. because I've had depression. I was mirroring that with you. Mm. I saw that it was very bad. I think that maybe I was one of the people that came to you and said, I'm quite 
unnerved by your depression, maybe. I think yeah. I might have mentioned it to you. Yeah, you were. I don't know how many people acknowledged it to you at the time. No, not a lot. But it was something had gone very wrong. Yeah. And now I realize that... Yeah, I spiraled down and it just got worse and worse. Yeah. And you weren't eating by... The day before you went into the clinic, you weren't eating anymore. No. You weren't sleeping anymore. Uh, it, you weren't doing anything anymore. I was still. sleeping plenty, possibly too much. Yeah, you said that's an issue with bipolar. You have to be very strict with your sleeping. Yeah. So for me as a depressive, I mentioned to you I love sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's a crutch. I could sleep when I'm sad. I could sleep my life away. It's it's so painful sometimes having to wake up. I love sleeping. Sunday afternoon nap time is. <clears throat> it I'm allowed to because society says so. Uh, but I was actually um, asking you initially before I went in this roundabout way. Yeah. How do you feel? And again, this is mirroring and projection about the fact that you had bipolar. People knew you. People who knew you far better than me didn't pick it up or say there's something wrong. They just saw that as a part of your personality. They saw the disease as just who you are. This is something that, and we spoke about this earlier before the podcast, the disease of addiction. People don't see the disease. People see the shitty behavior, the selfishness, the stealing, the unforgivable lies, Mm. the uh, uncontrollable rage. They see the ugliness and they say, this is you. This is who you are. They don't see this as a disease. That's one of the worst things about addiction is how isolating it is, how people can't separate you from your addiction. So, and people can't separate you from your disease. You grew up from a teenager, you're now in your late thirties. How do you feel about the fact that no one ever once said to you, you have bipolar and you have friends with schizophrenia, you have friends who have bipolar. How does that make you feel? Or did people actually suggest it to you? Uh, no, no one suggested it. Um, for a large part, despite having it, I was somewhat functional. Uh, I think this whole smiling depression where I hid it and that. Uh, the worst I ever got was people thinking I was just lazy and similar. That's a big depressive thing. Yeah, lazy, a little bit eccentric and weird, certainly. But... Uh, Nothing that ever got to that sort of diagnosis. Has anyone ever called you lazy to your face? Yes. Lots of people, just one person? Uh, Just one. A former boss of mine. Really? Mm. What were you doing? I was working as a piercing artist at the time. And there? He was an incredibly uninvolved boss for opening up a new studio. Mm. He wasn't there the majority of the time. It was left just on me and... I was starting to spiral down and it was just getting worse and worse and I was battling more and more, getting there on time, trying to find clients, trying to keep the place clean, in effect trying to run most of the place on my own while he was out and about. So... I think that contributed a little bit to it all. So that's really interesting because I've been called lazy. Mm. I've been called lazy by a family member. And it was as a teenager, or, and I mean, most teenagers are called lazy. I mean, it's difficult to tell Part the difference. Path of the course. Between, yeah, difficult to tell the difference between depression and lazy. But throughout my life as a depressive, perhaps this was a silver lining to be called, to being called lazy, is that I, I think that as I've gotten older, I now realize how much time I need to regenerate from things versus someone without depression. Mm. That it's not laziness, that a lot of it is self-care, that I'm not a lazy person. I just take, I use up a lot of energy doing the things that I need to do. It's the nature of our diseases. And, And people don't realize that I've gotten to a point in my life where I have to make time for temperature checks on myself and that's really important Mm. regarding the time thing saying that you got to work late that's really interesting to me because when I get unmanageable 
because now I suffer more from anxiety than I do depression. I think some people who know me well sometimes say that I'm, for them, they actually think I'm perpetually depressed. Mm. I don't think I am. I wouldn't have said yeah. so. I've uh, seen you in some of your depressed moments. Mm. There, you know, there was an incident about a month ago where I had a depressive episode due to a number of circumstances. And that was very much, yeah, held against me. But getting back to my point, so when I'm late for things, so in, in my kind of work that I do outside the podcast, yeah. I can't be late. No, no exact timings required. And I am very organized regarding going to therapy and very organized meeting people when we say a certain time I appreciate that not everyone's like that but for me if I'm late for someone if I'm late for a time it means I'm being unmanageable mm. it means that something is hindering my ability to do a normal functioning thing yeah. and I take it as a symptom me being late is a symptom of how I'm feeling. <laughs> no, it, it is. One thing I found is that having a sort of routine and schedule can help as well, mm. particularly in the monitoring sense. You can see just how you're coping at the time with that. What do you mean a monetary sense? M monitoring, not Oh, monitoring. monitoring. Yeah. I was like... Oh, yeah, no, keeping track oh. of it. Oh, yeah, schedule's very important for people like us, and... And healthy living is really important for people like us. It takes a lot more effort for us. Yeah. I, I don't does. know if there are any more normal people left. <laughs> I think they're getting quite scarce now. Oh. And I think that the... And, 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 and someone once said to me, a professional said, being depressed means that you're normal because the world is a terrible place. If mm. you're not depressed by it... Something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. Yeah. And... When you are depressed, something's wrong with you. <laughs> so, you know, kind of both sides of the coin it's, there. It's the K's Choice song. When your penis is on fire, something's wrong. When your president's a liar, something's wrong, something's wrong. Sounds like an interesting it's song. It's a great song. I hope we don't get At this point, wrong. I should actually I feel I must point out that I don't just have bipolar. I've also got frontal lobe epilepsy. Tell which me is about another that. source of depression. And I really? Mm, yeah. I know and I will occasionally have um, nocturnal seizures. But that's largely under control, I think, with the anti-epileptics that I'm on. Tell me about that, that journey. You got that diagnosis after the yeah. bipolar one. You told me, yeah, you were having yeah, no, I, I had bipolar and then about a year later, um, my partner pointed out that I was having sort of nocturnal seizures. So back to the nuthouse, back for re-diagnosis, 24-hour EEG, monitoring, all of that. And tell me about epilepsy and depression. I can't tell you too much other than it is a slight cause of it. So I kind of got it coming from both ways with the bipolar and the epilepsy. I had a student years and years ago who had an epileptic fit on my watch. Mm. And she eventually left mainstream schooling because she couldn't function with having epilepsy. Yeah, no, I unfortunately was never that bad with it. One of the medications I was on lowered my seizure threshold. So now going off that medication and having it replaced with other stuff, my threshold's gone up, so my nocturnal seizures are quite rare now. You need to get a gum guard at night time. We need a trip to Diskem sometime soon. Oh, we know why you're looking forward to your trip to Diskem. You know what, you don't have to come, Russell, if you don't want to. So, guys, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm okay. a lady. <laughs> if they want to hear about it, they can beg. They can beg. Fair enough. Fair no, enough. I have. I. I. This is. This is a less than sexy um, uh, reveal. I. I have a little mouth guard that I sleep with at night, mm. and you should see how that thing has been chewed on. Everyone should wear those things at night <laughs> to see what they do to their teeth at night. 
We are sawing them down to little husks. Okay. Yeah. We can do a skim trip at some point. Oh, can we? <laughs> we can. I'm, I'm always down for a new soap and eye ointment, so... <laughs> and what have you, a few knickknacks mm-hmm. in the bag. <laughs> so I, I was quite anxious to talk about anxiety in yeah. this episode. It's so weird, the power it has on me, because in a way, I guess, I, what did I think that talking about it would trigger an episode? That sounds mad when I say it to you, but these are the fears you carry. Me you carry, as a depressive, yeah. as an anxiety sufferer, my anxiety has increased so much since I started treating the depressive episodes. Mm, um, likewise. And tell me about your anxiety experience. What is it like for you? Um, is it a daily thing? Is it just a normal... Is, does it feel like normal living or is it an actual attack? What is it for you? Uh, not a daily thing, but it's certainly at times, just for no sort of reason, I will develop anxiety. I have had one full-blown panic attack that was horrendous felt a little bit like a heart attack chest pain and all of that mm. when was this a uh, while ago about six months okay five six months ago it's horrendous hey oh it's so rough and scary during the day or at night in the evening in the e- unexpected very i was cooking supper at the time oh wow oh an unexpected one yeah yeah but i mean other than that, just sort of general anxiety and that, yeah, that crops up now and then. Again, not on a set schedule or routine or anything. It's just one of those things that happens. So, I mean, last year, during COVID, I mean, I was so isolated. Mm. And I went to a book club. And I'm such a cope. You, you have to understand with me, guys. I feel I've had people accuse me of not having depression. I've had people accuse me of not suffering from anxiety or saying things like, well, you handle it so well. I'm like, well, you just don't know me very well yet. You just don't know the nature of the beast. It's like that joke of people going, oh, no, you look fine. I don't think you need your medications. It's like, thanks for that. It's the medications. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, Thank you, medicine. And you and I constantly make jokes about our pillbox collections. Mm. I uh, went to a book club and I sat down and I realized I didn't want to be there and I felt very forced to be there. And I quietly sat there and I had a panic attack inside. And it was so stressful. I, I normally get my panic attacks in the middle of the night. I, have, um, I get depressive insomnia, anxiety disom- um, insomnia. And when I start getting those, it's really bad. It means that I'm really, really struggling. During the day, yeah, I, I, I do get them. When I get them, it, it takes a few times, even after all these years, and I say I'm a seasoned depressive. <laughs> Might not be such a seasoned podcaster, but I'm a seasoned depressive. I, I get them. It takes me actually a few days before I start doing day treatments. I have um, medication for attacks during the day. It takes a lot for me to do that because of work and what have you and driving and just functioning. I'm very cautious. See, the problem with anxiety medication is most of them are part of the benzo family. Yeah. Benzos are highly addictive. They're habit forming. And I come from... Um, heritage with addiction yeah so i have to watch out for that and i always did foresee myself if i was going to fall down an addiction hole that i would be definitely pharmaceuticals all the way why well, get street drugs <laughs> when you can legally get <laughs> drugs from Duskim. maybe we should leave Duskim out of this episode we're mentioning um we can approach them for a sponsorship all right, we can say we love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and all your knickknacks. <laughs> and yeah, I go to pharmacy, first one up. I do love them so much. Mm. Um, all right, so how do people react when you tell them you have bipolar? Uh, for example, Tinder people. Um, I, I reactions use, have been quite mixed. I use Tinder as an example frequently mm. because Tinder has this thing where 
you have to decide what you're going to reveal what you're not going to reveal and are you going to be mr open book or are you going to be closed are you going to trust the person i see i normally don't tell people that stuff on tinder yeah no well i certainly don't have it in my profile but if uh conversations start happening that would be crazy then i make it a judgment call and if it's going well enough then i feel yeah okay now let me disclose mm. we'll work the conversation around to it uh friendships i've been quite a lot more open about it what do they say there's something existing been a, a mix of reactions um a lot of people don't know too much about it so i've sort of had to educate quite a bit um, i like people who are interested in stuff mm. i do like i like people who ask me questions i like answering questions and i like asking questions yeah. well the guys that didn't know that asked about it those are some of the friendships worth keeping yeah the guys that just sort of shunned me oh no it's a mental illness we don't want anything does to anyone do with really that anything do that, with though? you hmm? does do people really do that yes really yeah i've lost a couple of friends how dramatic that way mm. yeah a load of shit since, but since your mental illness probably barely affected them mm. no Okay, here's the question though. How do you feel then saying that no one ever identified it in you? How do you feel about that? Tough question to answer. My life certainly would have been different had it been diagnosed earlier and I wouldn't have objected to that. But it is what it is. Uh, it's the way that it happened. There's not too much I can do about it. I can't change the past. Do you so not feel just deal and move on. and unheard? I get that from plenty of other things about myself too, so. I feel that it would have helped me so much for people to, there were certain people in my life, in earlier life, that realised that I was not okay. Yeah. And I, I think that if they'd done something about it, you know, teachers and adults around me, mm. I think that would have helped me a lot. Yeah, well, my parents certainly tried from an early age. Uh, they could see that something was up, and I'd gone to a sort of child psychologist oh, and all of that. Yeah. Okay. But uh, it just evidently wasn't up for making the diagnosis. Nothing really came of that. It's so interesting that your child psychologist and well, I mean, how old were you when you? Because you can also you have to be certain ages to get diagnosed yeah. with things. Yeah. No, I was probably about. 11, 12, so a little bit on the early side for the diagnosis. Yeah, you wouldn't be diagnosed with those things. But yeah, Mm. had it happened a few years later, maybe it would have been different. But it is what it is. I don't know, if my kid displays really, really shitty behaviour as a teenager, you know, drinking and destructive behaviour, I would be very involved with finding a diagnosis a lot of that is just part and parcel of being a teenager though to a point i'll tell you something really interesting though very personal and you Mm. know this but so i guess i'm telling our gentle jury this Uh, it doesn't hurt to give me a reminder now and then of things so i'm not a drug addict and not an alcoholic no but i have self-diagnosed myself as a love addict and a few weeks ago, my therapist told me she doesn't think I'm a love addict. And I was devastated by that. And as she put it really well, she said, I've taken something away from you. So although I think that I manage my depression and anxiety and I keep it in a different room when I'm around people mostly... I'm still very aware and I don't know what I would do if someone came up to me today like my therapist and said I don't think you have depression and took it away from me Mm. that this becomes a very even though we we love to hate it and shit it costs us money yeah it becomes something that helps us understand ourselves yeah it becomes just part of our journey of self-discovery part of the image that we have developed of ourselves because that's what we're doing. That's why we get these painful diagnoses and eventually submit to pills. Is is because we're trying to find out who we are. Yeah. Because these are the eternal questions, you know. That they are, yeah. I mean, you, you, you went to a clinic 
but you didn't have to participate in any kind of 12-step stuff. No. Interesting that they didn't give you guys that, that they didn't give you kind of those kinds of coping mechanisms. I wonder why. Well, that wasn't part of it. I mean, we did the whole sort of cognitive behavioral therapy and that, and a lot of the classes and courses were built around that. What does that imply? Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is just one of the new or newer forms of therapy that's involved mm-hmm. in that and just regarded as being one of the more effective ways of treating. So I've been doing that for years and years. Things. When yeah. I started doing it, it was crazy. But for people who don't un- know what that is, what does that mean? Because people are like, cognitive, oh, that's something to do with the brain, behavioral, no. I've got bad behavior. No, it's just methods of looking at yourself and diagnosing your behavior and problem areas and how you will deal with it. It's a psychological toolkit, basically. And what kinds of things have you gotten from it? Like helpful everyday things that our listeners can use. Oh, um, you catch me off guard there. I'll have to think a little about that to come up with something. Uh, A lot of them have become just so run-of-the-mill and routine, I do it without thinking. (laughs) Like... Uh, taking a step back, breathing, re-evaluating the situation, evaluating okay. my emotions at the given time, and just the stepping through and slow down, calm down for a moment, just look at this, reframe it, look at it from a few different angles, and if that's making any sense, Absolutely. you're looking quite confused. Oh no, so I'm actually secretly, um, the, the ball that Clay Gain brought... I actually decided to um, use it as a massage against this chair I'm sitting on. And so the pained expression on my face is from me uh, getting knots out of my back and not from what you're saying. That's really interesting. Mm. I really like, and I think that this is a really interesting thing. I do this in yoga a lot. It's very Jungian in nature, what you're talking about. It's the, the concept of being an observer of observing yourself, Mm. of taking a step back. Because that's what it means. Taking a step back means you become an observer. Observing the situation as as, as opposed to retaliating or attacking, you observe. There's a huge amount of power, Mm. godlike power in that. The reason why I'm asking you these things is because and it's been on my mind a lot regarding you, is that most 12-step programs, which I've used a lot because there's many groups for different issues, they, they involve the 12 steps, but as you know, the, 12, the, the, the second step is coming to understand something greater than yourself. Yeah. So I know that you're an atheist, an agnostic, mm. sorry, correction. What is it that does does a spiritual um, manifest help you in any way? Do you pray? Uh, yes, I, I do at times, and I found it quite useful. Who do you pray to? What do you pray to? That I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is it a is it a kind of a mainstream god or? Uh, I think it's more just to the universe in general. Hmm. Uh, I was telling you before we started, I was mm. trying to read that Jungian book yeah. about the God that is the society God versus the self God. Mm. And when you when you were talking about taking a step back, I was thinking about the observer and how many therapists say, you know, that's God, that you become kind of godlike in that moment. And that is um, a huge tool for anxiety and depression and I presume other things if you can take a step back and then you can actually watch without judgment without unkindness without dread you can then know what it is to feel God Mm. also I think taking the step back as well helps you identify and this is a big thing in CBT or cognitive behavioral mm. therapy is a negative automatic thoughts those things when something happens that instant thought that you've mm. got that it's it helped me a so lot. often is so bad that really helps me as well I've actually found my head has actually been remapped through years of therapy mm. from that because I used to just be very ugly to myself Consequently, I was very ugly to people around me. 
I wasn't able to ever say anything nice, especially about myself. And it can uh, be very hard. Yeah. And it took a very long time. And even now, I sometimes have to catch myself. And it's really interesting when I meet someone and they're really negative about themselves because I go, oh, that's very abnormal behavior. You're not supposed to talk about yourself like that. So now you can look at that in a way of, you had really horrible parents, they were quite cuck, they said horrible things to you, and now you've actually created that as your dialogue in your head. You have very negative parents. Yeah, and the whole thing is just built off of yeah. that, and reinforced in people. But once you start to break it down, you start to hear whose voices it are, whose voices are performing in your head and throwing these tantrums at you. And a few months ago, I had a, a therapy um, session where I kind of was talking about what a loser I was and how angry I was. And, and the therapist um, at the time said to me, it's just not helpful. No. And it was at that point of my life that I was able to go, okay, as opposed to, but this is the truth and this is real, to kind of go, this is just not helpful anymore. This is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's very unhelpful. Mm. And then you can start to change it once you've acknowledged it. And you don't have to be, it doesn't imply that you then become the super positive person. I do not think the best of people. I do not think the best of every situation. I think I'm pretty pragmatic. But it's not about negative thoughts being the winner anymore. They don't have to have the power that they had before. And I also like myself more the less I say horrible things about myself and about other people. Mm. I feel like that's a sign that I've grown. Yeah, yeah grown, showing yourself a little bit of compassion as well. I mean, it's interesting because I haven't been in a clinic, but I've had such harrowing experiences during my therapeutic like journey. Mm. I had a lot of stuff to unpack. Was it very traumatic for you? I mean, you did very short, intensive things. I've done very long-term stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, particularly the first one, I found it highly traumatic. It was... The, your first stay or your first, yeah, first experiences of therapy? Yeah, no, first okay. stay in the clinic. Because I have had therapy on and off over the years mm. for other things. There was a time when I suffered from PTSD. Mm. Largely, I seem to have handled. But yeah, no, so um, just with the clinic, found that highly traumatic at times. Uh, Forced to confront a lot of inconvenient truths. I I find the thing with inconvenient truths about yourself or Mm. about everyone else, what kind of. A bit of both. Uh, I, I, I find them interesting. And at the time, very stressful to deal with. And then as time goes by, if it's real, one of the best things a therapist ever said to me was um, someone criticized my driving and they couldn't drive. Mm. And I, I looked at them and I said, I'm actually an excellent driver. I've got this. Don't worry. And a while later, they said to me, it was actually the narcissist, said to me, oh, you're actually a really good driver. And I said, yeah, I know. And then I kind of mentioned it to my therapist at the time. And she said to me, because that's a truth, absolute truth to you. Absolute truths to us are very important. If something is very true to us, we do not need to argue. And we've mentioned this in Difficult Conversations, our previous episode, Mm. where... If something is an absolute truth, it doesn't matter what other people's opinions are. So if you believe in a certain God that other people have problems with and take exception to, it's fine as long as it brings you love and companionship and whatever it is you need from a God. Um, Your sexuality, I mean, if you decide you're gay, you decide you're gay. Yeah, I have a problem with that line. Yeah, um, I thought they might. Mm. It's not like that's a choice or anything. but It's, it's a choice to live... I'm live. saying it flippantly. If someone realizes that they're gay, it doesn't matter what other people say. It actually doesn't matter what your parents say and your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your church says. Mm. It's just your truth. Yeah. 
you can try and fight it and you can argue with it if you want to kind of um, belong to the mainstream but at the end of the day if it's your truth it's your truth and the same thing goes with me and my driving I don't wish to put them in the same compartment I'm being flippant because I have more painful truths yeah. um, and, and some of my absolute truths are very very hard ones that I have to carry with me that I sometimes still battle with let me think uh, of course my, my the one we're talking about is having depression mm. it doesn't matter if people say well you handled so well you don't seem that depressed or you don't seem that anxious or you're quite a um, healthy functional person it doesn't actually matter because my truth is that I do and that I know what it looks like and I know what I look like and I think that a lot of people in you know who suffer from addictions talk about their addiction as a dark passenger because they love Dexter so much mm. and some people liken depression to a dark passenger I've had a called a demon by friends I honestly like on days like today, normal gray days where I'm not sure of the world. So I'm not, you know, extremely happy or extremely sad. I'm just extremely whatever. Yeah. I can say that it is so enmeshed in who I am and it wouldn't take a lot for you. It's like food coloring and milk. For those of you Interesting who don't idea. work with kids, and I do, so you put you put some green into the milk, and you put an earbud in, and you roll, and you can move the green around in the milk, and then you add some red, and then you can separate it, and you can, or you can move it into the green. You can change the colors, and etc. etc. So I'm like that bowl of milk. And and I'm I'm like the bowl of milk with all the food coloring in. If so I'm just thinking to, that this is fascinating. I've got to go and experiment with <laughs> food color and milk now. So, if you take an earbud or if you dip your finger in and you start to push, hmm. you'll see the different colors and the mixes. Yeah, no, I get that. You were going Thanks. a little bit deeper, and I interrupted. <laughs> I'm sorry. And all the colors will come out. You'll see the reds and the greens and the yellows and the blues and all the different colors I've put into this, this milk. It loses, and it doesn't take a lot to separate the depressive or the anxiety or the trauma person or the teacher mm. or the podcaster. They're all there in this mix. And if you want to try and find it, you'll find it. But maybe don't. Because it's messy. Mm. The more you mix it, the more you fiddle with it. I'm lost with this analogy miles ago. But you get what I mean. It's like basically the surface is stable and then you touch it and then it... Yeah. It, it blows. <laughs> what I'm saying is that the depression is in there. Yes. If you, if you start to fiddle with it too much, then you're going to... You're going to see it there. It's going to come out. My... Sometimes I think I, I refer to it as my depression and I say things like my depression will come up. But my depression has no problem with kind of coming to the party. You know, you just need to <laughs> trigger me somewhat and it's there. Um, I'm still in control. Mm. I still make decisions. If I feel like its heat is increasing or its coldness is decreasing, whatever way you see depression, whatever color you paint it in, I still have a lot more agency with it than I once had. It doesn't just control me now. When it does, that's when I take action. Therefore, QED, it's not in control of me. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's like, it, it, you, <laughs> I don't know. We've learned the we've learned some tools to handle, and well, I wouldn't say handle, but mm. to try and deal with it, and to mitigate. Do you some want to give it. us a summary? 
For those of people who kind of are now have left the podcast, got their bowl of milk, have their um, food coloring, and misstarped this other little journey into the soul with me. And you say summary just of the food coloring thing or of everything? <laughs> How to make milk with food coloring and play science at home. Uh, next, week, next week we'll be learning how to make slime. <laughs> it's, it's quite fun. Uh, <laughs> food coloring, guys. You can do lots at home with COVID and food coloring. A summary of things that help us. The medication is certainly part of it. Uh, Self-awareness, introspection, uh, some of the tools that you can get from therapy and CBT and the like. You didn't mention Uh, friendship and talking about it. No, which I should have. uh, An oversight on my part. There are probably a lot of things I should have mentioned that I didn't get around to. I mean, this wasn't a cure-all episode, though. This was an episode about trying to explain it. This was more just a tell-all from our side. Well, tell-all, and that we ran out of time and feel like we've just barely scratched the surface. Oh, yes, totally. Uh, And, I mean, I think it's something we should journey back to again and again. But, I mean, just for today, (laughs) which is something you say... I think that support groups are great. Yes, I think that you yes, know you are. can go to depressive and anxiety and bipolar support groups. They actually go together. Mm. They have little meetings together. We can go yeah, to the I same Yeah, I belong meeting. to a bipolar support group. So. Nice. Is it fun? So far, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> and um, I feel like also, though, the problem is at the initial stages of like these journeys when you go, okay, I have these issues, sometimes you start to unpack so much and you go, okay, I'm that and I'm a sex addict. And I also have a foot fetish, and I'm a shopaholic, I'm bad with money, you know, and then I, I might be gambling too much. You know, you start to unpack so much, the initial kind of blur of adrenaline of how much is wrong with you can be quite overwhelming, yeah. which is why you keep it simple. Mm. Also, one of the big risks early on is that once you found out that you have something like this, it's, I wouldn't say common, but it's quite possible, and it does certainly happen, that you refocus and reorient yourself now thinking that you are the disease. Yeah, it becomes that's a master. All of it. Yeah, and that's, that's like, not the right way. Exactly, and I think that's what I was also trying to say earlier on, was I was trying to say it's not my master. It tries to master me, but then... And a lot of people, and we've seen it so often, I think, together, where people just become victims to... And remember, you are. You have agency, and you are the sum of all your parts. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say... Guys, if you are suffering from any of these things, start off with a call to Lifeline and SADAG. They're very helpful. They can direct you in the right way mm-hmm. where you need to go. Yeah, no, totally. You don't take our advice as uh, medical advice. It's certainly not. Uh, uh, rely on the professionals. But if people want to contact us and talk to us about their foot fetishes and their anxiety, how do they reach us? Well, they can reach us... Uh, on our email, criticalwhimsy at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. If you guys really like us, check out our Patreon page. Drop us a couple of rand or cents. Everything helps. will help us get some more equipment. We'll be coming out with t-shirts in a short while. Yeah. This is a big, big um, announcement. Uh, Critical Whimsy t-shirts. You're gonna, you can have our faces on it. Or you can have the Critical Whimsy logo on it. Uh, that Let us know your interest. We'll see what we can do with that. Guys, until the next time, um, keep thinking critically. Keep being whimsical. Bye. <laughs>